Yes, officer, the reason why I took the turn like that is because I was inspired by Michael Schumacher. Welcome to the Ferrari Hub Podcast, where we will be talking Ferraris. And now your host, Andy Rasul. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the Ferrari Hub Podcast, where we are talking Ferrari. So I have a special guest on uh, the show today. His name is Peter Windsor, and some of you may recognize the name because he's not only a TV journalist, but he's also a television presenter. He presents his own show on Formula One, uh, which we'll be talking about and also talking about the 2017 Ferrari F1 season. So the season hasn't actually completed yet, but we are going to be sort of reviewing where things have gone well this year and where things have in particular not gone so well. So just um, if you're listening in the future, um, Lewis Hamilton has just won the championship, uh, but there are still a couple of races to go. So we'll be looking at uh, that in a little bit more detail, and that's coming up in a moment. I've been really excited this week because there's just been so much that's been going on. Here at Ferrari Hub, we are working closer with Ferrari Northern Europe, and we were lucky enough to be invited to an event that's taking place here in London. The event itself is an exhibition taking place at the Design Museum uh, in Kensington. And Ferrari and the Design Museum have put on a show called Ferrari Under the Skin. There's lots of Ferraris on display, but what we have coming up is an interview with the creator of the show himself. And he talks about what it took to actually pull that show together. It's been two years in the making, so you can imagine just how much effort and time has gone into actually creating the show. Uh, He talks about the cars, he talks about what makes Spot Ferrari special from a design perspective. So it's a great episode which is going to be coming up in the future. Also, whilst I was there, I was also interviewed by the Associated Press as an expert in Ferraris. So if you're based in the US, look out for that. It's going to be appearing on different network channels. Uh, I don't think in Europe we will get an opportunity to see that because that was specifically being produced for the US customers. In terms of our audience on the podcast and on the website, our numbers have been growing and growing. It's hard to believe that we only launched two weeks ago, but I've been looking at the number of subscribers, the number of downloads, the number of listeners to our podcast, and the number of people who are visiting our website and who have subscribed on our website. And I'm really blown away by the numbers. So the first thing I'd like to just say is thank you very much. We're doing this for you guys. And we really appreciate the feedback that, we're be, that we have been getting and the, um, the subscribers who have um, been uh, following us as well. So thank you. It's really appreciated. We're putting together a lot of great content. So now we have... Every day we have articles going live on the websites, uh, lots of different types of news articles, as well as um, two vehicles which we select uh, on a Monday and a Friday, which falls under our drool articles. So be sure to check out the drool section and drool over the vehicles that we select for you guys to look at. The only other thing that we ask is that if you enjoy and you like what we do, then please subscribe to the show. Leave us a review on iTunes and let other people know about the show. The more people that know, the more people that will enjoy from the show and the more content we can then generate as well. So the show is free, as you are aware. Uh, Do let other people know that it's free as well. It's always going to be free. There's not going to be any charges for this. Before we get into this week's episode, I just want to thank our sponsor for today. They are Supercar Italia. 
They're based in Biggin Hill in Kent, right by Biggin Hill Airports. They specialise in servicing, repairs and bodywork for Ferraris, Lamborghini and Maserati, as well as all types of supercars. They combine over 60 years technical know-how. They don't just work on the new cars, but they're also very familiar with the old cars as well. Having been around their workshop, I've seen them working on the new 458s, uh, right down to the old 365s and older cars than that. And they can do anything from a simple oil change on a vehicle to a full restoration. And if you are a foreign buyer and want to do a pre-purchase inspection on a car, they can arrange for the vehicle to be transported to their workshops and carry out a full inspection for you, whichever country you're based in. In their words, they are as passionate about the work on your car as you are about owning the car and driving the car. So if you want more information, check them out at supercaritalia.co.uk. Now on to the show. Before we dive into this interview, just want to mention that there is a little bit of technical interference on the line. So there are segments where it sounds a little bit uh, strange, but um, uh, just bear with it. It's a great interview. Also, show notes can be found on ferrarihub.com forward slash EP5. From this week, we are also including in the show notes what is the guest's favourite Ferrari of all time. So each week, we're asking each guest which is their favourite. You'll find those images in our show notes. Well, thanks everybody for joining the show. Uh, as mentioned, we have a special guest on the show today. Uh, his name is Peter Windsor. Uh, he's the former sporting director for the US F1 team, and he is uh, now a Formula One journalist. Uh, Peter actually has a uh, show called The Flying Lap, um, which is shown on autosport and motorsports.com. Um, but um, let me bring Peter into the show. Peter, welcome. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Peter. Um, so you're uh, somewhat of a, a Formula One expert. Just just give us a bit of a background as to sort of how long you've been involved in motorsport, Formula One uh, in particular. Well, I started um, as a flag marshal when I was 13, at the age of 13. I was oh. raised in Australia at the local racetrack uh, and worked there as the press officer when I turned 17. Uh, okay. And then came to England when I was 19 to try to get a job in motor racing if I could, particularly in journalism, because I was reasonably good at English and not much good at anything else. <laughs> and was very lucky to meet a lot of people and very soon after that uh, was able to basically give myself a reasonable platform to to write regularly. Um, I was going to a lot of club races and a lot of uh areas where you get your hands dirty rather than just floating into Formula One straight away. But mm -hmm. it happened and I started doing Formula One when I was about 21, 22. And since then, I've gone on to do a lot of different things. Very lucky. I've been managing drivers for many years. I've, I was team manager of Williams, sponsorship manager of Williams, general manager of Ferrari when they were running Nigel Mansell and Alan Prost. Oh, right. Okay. And, um, you mentioned USF1. I mean, that project never happened, so it's hardly worth mentioning. It was a great project. It was killed by the advent of what they call at the time a budget cap formula within Formula One, which was a ludicrous idea anyway of Bernie and Max, mm. which killed the team. But I still think it would have been a very, very good team. But I have tried to put a couple of other F1 teams together, neither of which have happened. But... Um, I think they all would have gone quite well, but they all didn't happen for various reasons beyond my control. Mm. But now I'm the executive producer of Motorsport TV, which is the world's largest motorsport TV channel by a huge margin, um, based around 
motorsport.com, as you say. Uh, and we, um, we're in now 38 countries with a regular motorsport show, which uh, more than just supplying that, we have lots of different shows. And our 3D animations are now acclaimed as the best in the world. So yeah, all going pretty well. I mean, I, I've been an avid watcher of your shows. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I've always uh, sort of enjoyed them and, and learned a huge amount, um, um, you know, going into sort of detail around you know the, the the races and sort of race reviews technical details and all that sort of stuff so yeah. all, all the things that are you know i've always sort of scratched my head over and sort of thought you know um you know why has that sort of happened and you know how how could that possibly have have been the result then you know you know diving into that sort of level of detail has always been great so uh, well i've always felt um being raised in australia at a time when i had to wait three months for the magazines to come out to see who'd won a race by ship <laughs> mm. um me, it was always more more important to know why things happened rather than what happened. Yeah. I was wanting to know who'd won a race, but I wanted to know why he won that race or yeah. why he didn't win. So that's always been the um, the underpinning, really, of everything I've done in motor racing. It's if I wasn't at that race, yeah. what would I want to know that made that result happen? Why? What what questions would I ask? I ask those questions of myself, and then mm. I try to answer them each time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's that's exactly the type of thing that I've always um, been able to get out of your shows. So um, certainly do appreciate that. So Good. so really wants us to talk about the Formula One season this year. Um, it started off quite well and then quickly sort of, you know, there was a few hurdles. And then towards the end of the season, second half of the season, just, you know, things just kind of fell apart. And you know, just just sort of give us give us your view on that about you know sort of how things started out and you know where where do you think it went wrong? We're talking about Ferrari now. Obviously. We we are yes indeed. Yeah, well I think the season started very well because a lot of good people were now in a position to do what they do well. Um, Benotto being one of them, obviously the technical director had mm. settled in very well, had the support of everybody around him and was proving very quickly to be much more than just an engine engineer, mm. as I predicted he would. A lot of British journalists um, felt that when James Allison left that he had to be replaced with a sort of James, a sort of Ross Braun type English figure who could control the team. And yeah. um, I think it was a lone voice amongst all the British press saying at the time that Mattia Bonotto was the right man. Um, and I hopefully I think I've been proved correct. And I thought he was the right man because <clears throat> a bit like Paddy Lowe, he's very good with people. He's a kind man. He's yeah. well-mannered. It's the best from people. And he gets their support rather than being dictatorial. Mm. And being an engine engineer, he does understand uh, the car from front to rear. And he's not afraid to delegate to the aerodynamics department. So yeah. I think he settled in well. I think Jock Clear settled in very well too. Um, another friend of mine who shall remain nameless move from McLaren to Ferrari and I know that he settled in very well and was very mm. impressed by the welcome he was given and how easy they made the move and yeah. uh, he's now settled in as a very very good design engineer there mm. uh, and I think that the, the the guys at the top I think Arriva Arriva Bene um, after a year had had realized what his job really entailed and it was basically trying to keep the team on the straight and narrow and keep a balance there. Yeah. But much more importantly, I think um, Sergio Marchioni, um also realized that the way to be the man at the top was not to be predicting wins, not to be chastising the team every time something went wrong, but mm. to be a little bit more compliant and go with the ebb and flow, the inevitable ebb and flow of Formula One. And so I think because Marchioni and, and, and Arriba Bene were very 
uh, very mature after one year in terms of how to put a team together. I think it all looked very good. Um, I think overall it was Sebastian Vettel that really was the undoing of the team. I think yeah. what he did in Baku was absolutely appalling, and I'm surprised that he got away with it as leniently as he did. Mm. Um, to, you know, to exhibit road rage like that on a racetrack it was just ridiculous yeah sorry i was going to say just for our listeners just remind us what exactly happened in, in back well basically he was he was behind the safety car following lewis hamilton who was leading the race mm. very slowly and lewis was doing what he was completely in his rights to do which was to run as slowly as possible mm. towards the uh, beginning of the first flying lap with the yeah. safety car released and he was doing that partly because on the previous restart behind a safety car, he'd nearly passed the safety car before he got to the start-finish line. Right. So this, this is a this is that, – and that would have been a major problem for him. So it was pretty obvious to anybody who was watching the race closely, mm. closely Lewis on this next restart was not going to play around at all and was going to leave no margin for error mm. and was going to be even slower in the preceding corners. And that information should really have got to Vettel. I suspect it didn't. Yeah. And I think that was probably a mistake from the Ferrari pit wall. They didn't say to Sebastian, be very careful of Lewis because he's going to be going at an absolute snail's pace this time around. It's very slow there. Mm. And he's not going to run the risk of passing the safety car. He's going to give it a lot of room. Yeah. Nobody, I think, said that to Vettel. And Vettel um, has never liked the way Lewis has led cars around on formation laps before a race or behind safety cars he always thinks he goes too slowly and in this occasion basically rammed him big mistake from Vettel you never run if you hit the car in front it's your fault in, in on the road in a race anywhere it's your fault you just don't do it and in a very petulant display of irritation with himself and anger with the world in general trying to show in a childlike way that it wasn't his fault yeah. he pulled alongside lewis and just drove into him and that was very similar to an incident that 12 months before um dan tictum an english driver had committed mm. behind a car after uh, he committed road rage in a similar way went up to the guy that he thought had <clears throat> taken him out and rammed him yeah and tictum lost his license for 12 months he couldn't race for 12 months he's mm. now back He's now one of the autosport uh, drivers in the uh, potentially able to win the autosport award this year. He's, he's recovered well, yeah. but he got, a, he got a suspension for 12 months. So you can imagine how he felt mm. four times world champion, basically did the same thing and got away with a $10,000 fine. It was disgusting. Mm. And I think that that reverberated through the team. I think the team was shocked yeah. at what Sebastian did. Nobody, of course, would say that. All the Formula One teams these days are very, very tightly controlled by uh, the team owners and the management when it comes to media statements sure. and it was swept under the table very very quickly but there's no doubt that would have had um a big effect on everybody and yeah. points were lost. there's no question sebastian probably blew a potential race win that day mm, yeah and yeah. then i think the other the other big moment was was singapore yeah when Mm. It should have been an easy win for Vettel, and again, it was a it was a show of petulance. He he made a bad start. He, he I don't know what he was thinking. Did he think there was nobody going to be coming down the inside at all, and basically just drove into everybody? Yeah. And Ferraris were out before the start of the race on a circuit on which they could have finished one two. Yeah. So that was you know uh, you got to say Sebastian Vettel has a lot to do with it. Yeah. And the no, following race, Malik, yeah. he ran into the back of Lance on the slowdown lap so you know there is something wrong there and on all occasions Sebastian basically said it wasn't his fault 
to the public, and which I think is a mistake as well, because if you're not recognizing your own errors, it's difficult to move forward. Mm. On other days, he was excellent and drove some very, very good races, put in some great qualifying laps, and showed that, that overall the Ferrari was the best car. Yes, there were some reliability issues, yeah. and those, you could argue, happened at a time when Mercedes were finding some rock-solid reliability. Mm. But for me, they weren't enough really to account for losing the championship so early. I, I put it more down to those driver errors and yeah. possibly tied to that some some managerial mistakes as well. Actually, it's interesting you should say that because um, uh, Marchioni, he actually did say just recently uh, that, I mean, and I'm quoting him now, uh, he says, ultimately, it's a reflection on the way in which we manage the business. It's a combination uh, especially in the second half of the season between technical issues and driver error or driver mismanagement, uh, misjudgment. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's actually what the boss at Ferrari is saying as well, that, uh, you know, that's the reason why, um, you know, the season's ended as it has. Yeah, and I think one of the things that surprises me is that Jock Clear hasn't been able to do more to manage Vettel in those race situations where it's got away from them mm. because Jock is one of the best engineers I know when it comes to managing drivers in in reality, in the actual moment. Off yeah. the line, traffic, don't get involved here, do get involved there. He's very, very good. And the fact that he hasn't been able to do anything with Vettel suggests that Vettel is in a position at Ferrari where, as the four times world champion, nobody tells him what to do about yeah. anything. Yeah. And they're kind of more of it, yes. And I think that's a problem because it goes back to hiring Vettel with those four world championships behind him. And everybody, it's almost like the parting of the, the Red Sea. He arrives and everybody has to sort of basically go along with what he wants to do. Yeah. Whereas when, when Michael went to Ferrari, yes, he'd won a couple of world championships, but he was still very hungry and made it clear that he still had a lot to learn and he was bringing a lot of his own people with him. So yeah. it was a very different situation. And I don't think Vettel as a four times world champion is perhaps as, is perhaps as effective at Ferrari as he would have been if he was a twice, say a double world champion. I yeah. think when you won four, it's very difficult to say to the guy, Sebastian, keep your mouth shut and get on with it. I think it's difficult for people to say that to him. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, yeah. Vettel's been there since 2015. Now it's his third season. Um, you know, and as you mentioned before, he came to Ferrari, he came with four world titles under his belt. So, you know, um, there is, you know, obviously he's come in and there's probably an element of frustration as well in the sense that, you know, he's come into Ferrari expecting to have continued that winning streak. And now he's, you know, in his third season and still, you know, that they're, they're, um, you know, they're competitive, but not to the same extent that McLaren is. I mean, if you look at McLaren's season this year um, and, and the points that they've scored each race, I mean, it's pretty consistent. I mean, you, you have a few fluctuations up and down, um, but nowhere near like it is with Ferrari. With Ferrari, you have some really great races, you know, like Monaco, for example, and you have some really bad ones like Singapore, you know. So, you know, the frustration that sort of builds up, you can sort of understand that to some extent, but although it's not justifiable. Yeah, I think... Obviously, he's frustrated and he wants to win. He wants to win every race. He wants to win 50 world championships. That, that goes without saying. I think it's more, as a four-times world champion, he's driving for Ferrari, and inevitably, there's a massive amount of pressure and expectation because he's a four-times world champion. And I think it's more that right. than 
than frustration. I think it's it's mm. the expectation of the Italian nation yeah. that four times world champion sh- is bulletproof and should be able to bring that car home if it's a winning car. Mm. And the fact that that hasn't happened on a couple of occasions when he could have won the race will have its effect on on Sebastian's psyche. There's no question about that. And yeah. that's one of the reasons I think he likes having Kimi in the other car because Sebastian is prone, as Mark Webber told us in the Red Bull days, he's prone to these red mist moments of anger, as mm. we saw in Baku, as we saw in off the line in, in, in Singapore, as yeah. we saw possibly carelessly in the formation slowdown lap in Malaysia. Mm. He is prone to these moments. And if you had a very um, a, a strong personality driver in the other car, that driver would exacerbate those moments. But if you've got a very uh, calm Finn like Kimi, who doesn't really get involved or say anything, it makes it easier for Sebastian to be able to get through these moments. So I can understand why Sebastian loves having Kimi in that other car. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, uh, I mean, Kimi, of course, um, has won ch- uh, a championship title for Ferrari um, in his first stint with Ferrari back in 2008, I think it was. Um, and uh, then, of course, he left and then came back again. I think it was, two, 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 2007, yeah. Um, but Ferrari haven't actually won a, a, a um, constructions championship title for um, for 10 years now um, and the trouble is that for each driver that comes in and I, I think the pressure is there much more on Ferrari drivers than on any other team yes. um, there is that expectation there to succeed and to win um, you know for Mercedes are having a great um, streak at the moment you know of, uh, I, I think this is now their fourth season that um, they're going to win but um, you know it, it, the expectation certainly isn't there for the other teams to perform as it is on Ferrari drivers, which um, I, I guess is, is a bit unfortunate for the drivers, but at the same time with the amount of um, uh, sort of investment that goes into the F1 teams, um, you know, they, they should be uh, winning more races and they should be winning more championship titles. Well, the good news is that Ferrari did produce the best car over the winter and I think it's slightly quicker car than the Red Bull and both of them are overall, given all the circuits in which they race, both mm-hmm. of them are quicker. I think, than the Mercedes, ironically. Uh, but the Mercedes has other qualities. It's very good where it is good yeah. and is more reliable, certainly, than the Red Bull and obviously than the Ferrari, as we saw in the back end of the year. Mm. But the Ferrari, um, I think, was is was and is the best car, and it'll be interesting to see how it goes at, in Brazil. I think it'll – you know, in theory, Vettel should win the last two races. I think yeah. he's got the best car, assuming nothing goes wrong. And that'll be good for the team. And looking ahead to 2018, if he does win those two, mm. but um, you know he's got to win them. To, to, yeah, to yeah, yeah. You know, I think you know adding to Vettel's errors. I think Mexico was also um, a very silly mistake from from Vettel. He got passed on the outside by Max going into the first corner. Nothing he could much do about that. It wasn't the end of the world. He, he was still in a very quick car. He could have perhaps raced Max and got the lead back. Um, but Lewis did a good job to get in, to get alongside him as well. And rather than just give them, give them a little bit of room and take the race to them and race them hard, he yeah. just basically drove into Lewis and ruined his own race. And, and he, again, that was a sign of petulance 
that um, it shouldn't be there for a driver of that quality. You can't imagine an Alan Prost or a Nicky Lauda or a Jackie Stewart doing anything like that. I mean, part of a racing driver's job, as Frank Williams has always said many years, for many years, is do not hit the car around you and do not hit, be hit by anyone else. Yeah. Got to keep that car away from everybody, and Vettel seems to enjoy driving into people. Yeah, you 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 can't, you certainly can't win or uh, get points um, if you're going to crash a car. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's true. So, so 2018 season coming up now. Well, I mean, we're, we're still in 2017. We had the two races left, as you mentioned, but um, 2018 um, will creep up on us very, very quickly. Um, yeah. What what can what can we expect? I mean, in your sort of expert opinion, you know. Well, I think. I think Ferrari will absolutely for sure be capable of winning the world championship. I think they'll win a bunch of races. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see Kimi win a race or two, if possible, if the cards fall his way. Um, you know, it's difficult to imagine that Vettel won't win a minimum of five to six races next year, maybe more, mm-hmm. and therefore he should be in the running for the world championship. But I think it's quite bad news for Ferrari that Red Bull have come on so well because if Mercedes were going to go into cruise mode, they would have got out of it already because they'll be thinking, you know, not only have we got to beat Ferrari next year, we've got to beat Red Bull. So I think we're going to see a lot of energy expended at Mercedes over the winter to keep the momentum going still further. Lewis is getting better every year. Uh, He has Botas alongside him, who's pretty good number two. Mm. And we know how good Max and Daniel are in the Red Bull. So... Yeah. For Ferrari to win the championship, they've got to do very well in the races where they're not going to be winning. They've got to be finishing second or third. Yeah. And they've got to win the races where they do have the advantage. And that's that's going to require good management. Mm-hmm. And it's going to require a Sebastian Vettel who doesn't drive into people and, and makes sure that he doesn't get hit by people either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I mean, it's certainly, when, I mean, as I mentioned, when you look at the um, the race results for this year, you see a lot of inconsistencies, the ups and the downs. And, um, you know, in comparison you know mercedes um were much more consistent you know um and that's what's got them through and i think next year ferrari really needs to concentrate on that as you said you know where they're unlikely to win they still need to score well uh and where they have good chances of winning they need to win um you know unfortunately it's not you know that that's it in its simplicity um there's a lot more complication obviously behind that but you know that's what they essentially need to do um and then you know it's good that they've got the car um, you know they've developed a, a you know a great car um, you know that could potentially be a very very competitive car um, you know for next season, but you know they um, you know they they now have Red Bull to contend with as well as you've uh, as you've rightly mentioned. The the other thing that's come into the news this week is um, the the possibility that Ferrari might quit Formula One altogether um, due to changes that might be coming in a few years. Um, by uh, the new F1 owners. So, what are, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, do you th- do you think that Ferrari might quit? I know that in the past they've always uh, they've always said that they might do it, but um, you know they, these changes are potentially a little bit too far. Well, I don't think it's necessarily the engine draft engine regulations that have triggered this. I think that's that's one of the things that's driving it. I'm sure in general, mm. Ferrari are not very comfortable about the way Liberty are handling. Formula One, because they used to be working as part of a private club of which they're the senior prefects in the school, and Bernie Eccleston's the headmaster, Mm. and he's always done a very good job of looking after Ferrari and appreciating their importance to Formula One, 
and doing all the deals under the table so the other teams don't get annoyed by it. And it's all worked very well. And now Liberty are basically going to be a lot more visible in the way they do their deals. I think they probably want to see parity between Ferrari and the other top teams. Mm-hmm. And quite understandably, I don't think Marchioni is going to accept that. And if I was Marchioni, I'd be saying the same thing. I'd be saying basically Formula One without Ferrari would not be Formula One. We're actually bigger than Formula One. Our brand is better known throughout the world than Formula One's. Mm. And we want to continue with the deals we've had. And if you don't continue that way, we'll go and do something else. And I think he's quite right to say that. I don't think it'll ever come down to Ferrari leaving Formula One. But I do think that if Ferrari wanted to, they could easily walk away from Formula One and set up their own new Formula One World Championship with a new rights holder, paying them a lot of money. They could set up new circuits all over the world. They could run away from the FIA. They could invite a lot of teams to take part and they could do it around basically an F2 chassis with everybody running Ferrari engines, massive television. And if you had six or seven other teams there and Vettel and some other good Formula One drivers, you'd probably have a very big television audience and without the Formula One branding and without the FIA. So it's entirely Mm. doable. Mm. And again, I think it's something that should be held up as a very serious threat and not just as bluster, which is what I think most people are dismissing it as, purely because they think it won't happen. Well, I don't think it'll happen either, but I don't think it's bluster. I think it's pretty serious, and I think it underlines the difference in management style between Eccleston, who basically was the captain of a ship, and if you didn't like it, you had to jump off the side, and Liberty, who are trying to run Formula One as a proper business Mm. in a sort of street methodology that really doesn't suit Formula One as it's structured at the moment because, guess what, it is a private club. It's not Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned Wall Street there because um, obviously Ferrari is now uh, uh, listed um, and, um, you know, Marchioni made his statements regarding this um, to investors. So it's not the type of thing that you sort of just flippantly say to the media, to the press, and it goes out there, you know, as a, as a comment made by Marchioni. He's actually made this comments to investors um, directly. So, you know, he he obviously means what he says, um, and he wouldn't say if he did if he didn't. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how that all develops as well. Yeah, you know, if if I was Marchioni, as I said, and we and, and you were suddenly being asked to take a different position financially purely because the sport had new owners, I'd be fighting it like crazy. And mm. to repeat what I said, I think Ferrari is a bigger name than Formula One, and I yes. think they're quite correct in doing that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Peter, thanks very much for that. That was uh, a really, it was a fantastic insight into the Formula One season this year and what to expect for next year as well. Um, getting your expert opinion there has um, been really useful for me and is uh, will no doubt be really useful for um, the audience as well. So thank you for that. I just wanted to um, ask you a question. I, I, I like to ask um, our uh, interviewees a question at the end. Uh, and the question I'd like to ask you is, money no object, which Ferrari would you buy? Um... I would buy a 1967 Ferrari 330 P4. Ah, wow. Okay. We've not had that one before. Well, why that one in particular? Well, I think it's the most beautiful Ferrari ever made. And I really, I have more respect for Mauro Foggeri than any other Ferrari engineer in the history of the company. 
Indeed, we've just finished a long, uh, in-depth interview with Mauro, which will be aired on Motorsport TV relatively short, relatively soon. Mm-hmm. And of course, the 330 P4 was Mauro's car, and it won the 67 World Sports Car Championship, and including the Le Mans, including Daytona and the Monza 1,000 kilometers. I've got very strong memories of Chris Amon as well, and that was the car that uh, he won those two races in. So, yeah, I, to me... The 330 P4 is probably the most beautiful. It certainly is the most beautiful sports racing car ever built. Mm. And I would almost say it's probably the most beautiful racing car ever built, although being a Lotus man, I'd still have to put a Lotus 33B ahead of it. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, I I can't disagree with anything that you said, except for the Lotus bit at the end, but everything else I totally agree with. It's uh, it's a stunning-looking car. Um, But we'll put uh, uh, some images of the um, the 330 P4 in our show notes on the website. And uh, so uh, listeners can go onto the show, go onto the um, the show notes, and have a look to see um, the car itself. And as I say, watch out for our interview with Mauro Foggeri. It's been, it was a great pleasure to go over and chat to him in his villa in Modena, Italy, uh, about the 330 P4, and also about Chris and Jill Villeneuve. And it's about a 24-minute interview, mm-hmm. um, and it's well worth watching, I think. And there'll be a longer version of it actually on our on-demand platform at Motorsport. Great. TV as well. Great. So, if if our listeners want to watch um, the the episode, where can they where can they do that? Well, Motorsport uh, TV is uh, a linear TV channel. It's channel four four seven on the Sky platform in the UK. It's also on Virgin, mm-hmm. so that's something that's on all the time. Uh, specifically, the Flying Lap is on every Friday at seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. But we also have other programs coming up. The, the Fogari interview will not be part of the flying lap it'll be a separate program in its own right right and then in addition if you want to watch it on demand you go to motorsport.tv and you basically search for the flying lap or maro Fogeria, whatever it is you want to watch mm. to watch on demand is a very cheap i think it's three dollars a month something like that and you can get a wow. month in advance free so it's well worth it you get the on-demand shows are longer and more detailed than the show that goes out on on the linear tv show right and then in addition we have uh, on motorsport.com uh digital extracts from all that all that programming so you can watch sort of four or five minute videos free of charge from uh, the main content so we're on all platforms unlike sky which is on satellite tv linear television in the uk and northern ireland but you Mm. can't really watch it anywhere else in the world Mm. um all our stuff can be watched worldwide and we have a massive viewership now as you as you can imagine globally and um yeah we also have for ferrari fans we we're also very closely allied to the ferrari challenge north america as well if you go to the motorsport tv and com sites you'll see a lot of ferrari challenge stuff there from north america oh, that's and um, lots of ferrari support in general that's excellent that is that is great um definitely i'll be checking out more of it and uh, i know our listeners okay. will as well good great peter good to to just want to say thank you very much again and um you know hopefully we'll um we'll catch up on uh, the 2018 season in the future all right great thank you very excellent. much cheers Wow, and what an episode there with Peter Windsor. Um, Thank you very much, Peter. It was a great insight. I certainly learned a lot from that, Uh, but it was great to get your expert opinion and your views on where we are in this season, where things are going next season, and beyond that as well. So cheers for that. Really appreciate it. Once again, I'd just like to thank our sponsor for today. They are Supercar Italia. They're based in Biggin Hill in Kent, right by Biggin Hill Airport's. 
They specialize in servicing, repairs, and bodywork for Ferraris, Lamborghini, and Maserati, as well as all types of supercars. They combine over 60 years technical know-how. They don't just work on the new cars, but they're also very familiar with the old cars as well. Having been around their workshop, I've seen them working on the new 458s, uh, right down to the old 365s and older cars than that. And they can do anything from a simple oil change on a vehicle to a full restoration. And if you are a foreign buyer and want to do a pre-purchase inspection on a car, they can arrange for the vehicle to be transported to their workshops and carry out a full inspection for you, whichever country you're based in. In their words, they are as passionate about the work on your car as you are about owning the car and driving the car. So if you want more information, check them out at supercaritalia.co.uk. If you're enjoying the show, then please subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review. We would love a five-star review if you think we're worthy. If you think there's areas for improvement, then let us know. And also, if you're enjoying it, please let other people know so that they can enjoy it too. That's all for now. Ciao.